can never be too careful around this time of the year because of all the road hazards and uh, other times uh, poor visibility and, and oh yeah, uh, carnivorous falling pianos. <laughs> Hello friends and uh, welcome in to this, the 182nd edition of Fusebox and I'm your scary on the outside but chewy. On the inside host, Mark Rose, and over there, he of the fiery antlers, <laughs> the dark prince of the parametric, Milk Canes, everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you kindly. So, I, look, I know you're not a big fan of this uh, time of the year, right? Well, you know... It's usually the time of year. I, I just shut everything up and hide away. Yeah, but isn't that what you do all the time? Well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, this time of the year, I actually like very much in particular. I'm uh, r- really fond of the Dia de los Muertos. Uh, The Day of the Dead, which is a holiday uh, typically celebrated on uh, November 1st. Yeah, that that just creeps me out, man. No, see, I just love the art associated with that celebration. I have a few pieces scattered around here of those little skeletal renderings, you know? Yeah, you sure do. You know, I've been staring at those skull planters you've got on the console in here for years, and uh, they still creep me the hell out. (laughs) Those are fun. Uh, They have, uh, like, little air plants growing from uh, the top of their heads. What's the deal with those, bro? Colors, shapes, you know? The fact that it, I don't know, somehow speaks to a childhood thing? I don't know. Maybe it's just the primitive style of the uh, sculptures and drawings. I just really like it a lot. Yeah. I know. I know. The subject they honor uh, may not be for everyone. But, you know, in truth, it actually isn't meant to be uh, dark and depressing. It's a celebration of the uh, afterlife, actually. You know, these are really lively and festive occasions, mostly uh, celebrated in Latin America. And uh, I-, I guess it stems from some very ancient Aztec rituals that uh, later were combined, uh, as it usually happens, with early Catholicism that was uh, brought to the region by the conquistadors. Well, didn't they eat the hearts of people? Aztecs? No, Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> Lake of Fire, Mr. Gaines. <laughs> Lake of Fire. Well, uh, the uh, <laughs> the Aztecs, yeah, yeah, did sacrifice uh, many folks for various reasons. One being <laughs> to gain the personal power of the sacrificed. Yeah, no. Yeah. The other thing here is that uh, Dia de las Muertos was started because the belief was that the dead would be insulted by mourning or sadness. 
So uh, the idea here is that it celebrates the lives of the deceased with food, drink, parties, and all the uh, activities the uh, dead enjoyed in their life. Now, according to National Geographic, uh, quoting here, it also recognizes death as a natural part of the human experience, a continuum with birth, childhood, and growing up to become a contributing member of the community. On Dia de los Muertos, the dead are also a part of the community, awakened from their eternal sleep to share celebrations with their loved ones. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you got ghosts wandering around with you and they want that to happen? Yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Because it scares the shit out of me, that's why not. You know what, I gotta tell you, I, I get a lot of ribbing around here because during these months, particularly eh, October through January, sometimes into February, I burn a lot of incense in here. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, to cover up all the skunk weed you've been smoking, man. Yeah, I get it. Hey, I do it too. No, not to cover up anything. Actually, quite the opposite. In, uh, in Asian beliefs, incense was the food of ghosts. So, in effect, I'm... Uh, You're a poltergeist snack shack? Well... Well, that probably explains why things disappear around here a lot, you know? Although, I gotta say, I've never seen anything like, you know, just get up and fly around the room, so uh, I guess that's a good thing. Well, you've just not been around here late enough. (laughs) (laughs) Now cut that out! You know... We wouldn't have invented a disease unless we had something to take for it. Fusebox. It's the show for everybody. Uh, But not everybody will like it. You know, these days, it seems that uh, everybody and their pet schnauzer has a podcast going. Uh, So many, in fact, that the numbers have exceeded over one million vying for your personal attention and ear holes, which is why I found this uh, next bit of info uh, quite engaging, actually. A chap named Daniel J. Lewis, whose name sounds a lot like Daniel Day-Lewis, but I assure you, no relation at all. Daniel Day-Lewis has no interest in podcasting. Uh, Daniel here has a podcast himself, actually several, but uh, one in particular called the audacity to podcast, it uh, deals specifically with, that's right, the inner workings of creating and producing these things. Sorry, could we get just a bit more meta here? <laughs> yeah, I know. A podcast about podcasts, I know. It's, 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 the, it's the world we live in. Very, uh, very meta. Sometimes the people covering the thing oftentimes become more famous than the thing they are actually covering. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's a hoot. But uh, Daniel here did some uh, high-quality snooting around and uh, came up with some amazing info about this podcasting thing. I certainly didn't know about it, and... uh, Which is (laughs) not surprising. But uh, here's, here's some of the info he uncovered. He says fewer than half of all podcasts, that's the whole range now, have published an episode in the last 90 days. Well, we have. Yes. Yes, we have. Uh, We would have about uh, seven or eight of them, I guess, as we do uh, two a month. 
He goes on to say that uh, far fewer of those previously mentioned podcasts have ever published 10 or more episodes. Oh, we're at 182, bro. Yeah, and counting. Uh, As a matter of fact, starting our eighth year in January. Thank you. Daniel says a large percentage of uh, podcasts have only one episode, and he calls them pod flashes. Yep, just a flash in the pod. (laughs) Yes. And a much, much smaller percentage of podcasts have published an episode in the last seven days. Well, he got us there. We're like uh, every other week, so... Right, right. He uh, closes by saying that uh, these numbers are for all podcasts in the Apple Podcast directory, which is uh, clearly the largest repository of links. So the uh, stats for a specific genre and niche will be probably smaller. So that's really good news for us then, yeah? Well, yeah, it is. We may not be as uh, buried in the land of obscurity as we may have thought. (laughs) Well, I'm kind of jazzed by that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hopeful news for us and uh, many others who are continuing to swing away at this thing. It's not, as our uh, colleague in uh, audio crime, Jeff Pollard, would say, it's not our first rodeo. We... uh, Started the shenanigans back in 2005 when uh, this whole podcasting thing began with a program called Area 51, and it uh, it had a nice following at the time and was always in the uh, top ten list of uh, comedy programs. Yeah, it was before my time, but uh, I remember you talking about those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was really the uh, dawn of the podcast era, you know? A dawn that lasted about a year and then went straight into the fiery sea. <laughs> uh, but, but speaking of uh, tentacled Martians, <laughs> yes, just a follow-up on the uh, production uh, I was involved in with the folks from Reimagined Radio, uh, that being the new adaptation of the immortal H.G. Wells story, War of the Worlds. One that uh, I and uh, John Barber produced, and uh, as of this recording, was aired a couple of days ago. But since we are actually, at the moment, in the past, talking about the future, as we see it from the past, in a future tense, I can say that we are all very delighted in the future for the warm reception it received from here in the past. I'm getting dizzy. And well, you should. Now, I just want to thank all of our contributors again for uh, giving of their generous time and energies to make this thing a reality. And I have mentioned you all in the uh, show notes of this very episode for your edification. Well, actually, uh, of what I heard of it, uh, mostly screaming... Sounded cool as hell, man. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Keynes. Yes, there there were some instances of uh, screaming hordes. Wait, what? I thought this was rated PG. No, 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 no. Hordes. Hordes, not oh, hordes. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. And friends, if you were uh, unable to uh, catch the uh, actual broadcast, we have uh, conveniently linked the program for you so that uh, in your leisure, you may listen Anytime. It's become a bit of a tradition around here, in recent years anyway, to uh, replay 
a favorite spoken word gem from the Fusebox archives that deals with a kind of a sort of a spooky theme. And uh, this one has always been a favorite of mine. And uh, I hope uh, runs and cuddles right up with you to become one of yours. Written by frequent collaborator and not spooky at all, Jody Lorimer. Narrated by Jody as well. And uh, this one is called Kitchen Man. I should have known I was on the edge. A couple of 60-hour work weeks can do that to you. I'd started yelling at stupid drivers, anyone who was in my way, even if they were stopping for some old guy in a wheelchair to cross. He should roll faster. There was a conspiracy of traffic everywhere I went. There was always some bozo in the market line who got the wrong thing for the coupon and the kid who brought the right thing was moving glacially. Coffee took forever to brew. Drip. 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 Falling like melted glass. My therapist went on some endless vacation to God knows where. The never-ending snow back east made sure the store up the street was out of my cigarettes. I was marooned on a shrinking island surrounded by idiots. All my weapons had melted into the sand and I could feel their eyes on me at night. So I shouldn't have been surprised, I guess. Something was bound to leak. I expected a heart attack, a stroke, something in my body to just give up and roll over, hands in the air. I didn't expect the guy in the kitchen. I dragged myself into my kitchen from the car after another aggravating 12-hour day with an armload of instant meals from the store that still didn't have my cigarettes, flipped on the light, and started slamming things in cupboards. I was not going to miss The Walking Dead again. The cherry cupboards are new, just installed a couple years ago before my marriage disintegrated like everything else. They have halogen lights along the bottom and the top that work on a dimmer switch. But when I flipped them on, it was still sort of dark. Damn. Now I needed to get more of those teensy bulbs that are a real pain in the ass to install. If you touch them, they blow out faster from the oil on your fingers. Of course. But this was a shadow of a man projected on my ceiling. I stepped back, heart racking against my ribs, and there he was. A little man, no more than three feet tall, or long because he was lying prone along the top of the cupboards, on top of one of those lights, casting a disproportionately huge shadow. Next thing I knew, I was on the street with my cell dialing 911-911-911. I was behind my neighbor's shrub, crushing his tulips, heart pounding, watching to see if he'd left. I could see the police moving all through the house, turning on lights, powerful flashlights, stabbing into closets and crawl spaces. No sign of him. No sign of a break-in. It's safe to go in now. Let us know if you have any more trouble. Where'd you see him? I lied. I couldn't say on top of my cabinets. How would he have gotten there? By this time, I was starving and really cranky. Of course there'd be some circus freak hanging out on my cabinets. Of course. Happens all the time, right? I grabbed a box of food, put it in the microwave, and stared around the room and at the place where he'd been. The paint, meadow pond green, I remembered from the can. It began to shine and swell unevenly as if filling with liquid. The paint faded and darkened, gathering colors from the shadows, accumulating dimension as he emerged through the wall. 
The shadow grew with him, darkening the room. He'd just been waiting. His skin was what my mother used to call sallow, a sort of darker shade with a yellowish tinge, but the paint gave him a greenish hue. He had huge, damp eyes and a very wide mouth like a frog. His lank, dark hair hung in strings over a sort of unitard, but he didn't lay down in that small space with his head on his hands. His head was up, he was poised. On splayed fingertips, palms raised like a pianist about to launch on Rachmaninoff. Or me. What are you? Why are you here? To say it too loudly made him seem more real. He didn't move, only blinked those enormous dark eyes slowly and wetly. Then he raised one splayed hand, stretched it slowly and replaced it, then the other. His fingertips grew wide and flat and seemed to stick to the cherry wood like small textured pads. For some reason, I thought of a trip I'd taken years ago to Australia, to a park in the middle of nowhere to see the rock art. What I'd also seen were more weird animals in one day than all my life before, as if God had run low on materials and put them together from spare parts. Gigantic and horned poisonous snakes, a pair of platypus ducks that have fur lay eggs and they're poisonous too. A just plain mean Cape buffalo with a broken horn, the ranger assured me would run me down in a heartbeat if he'd wanted to. A huge black boar running on tiptoes, ears flipping like little propellers. Crocodiles smiling with jagged fangs, lurking deadly logs on the banks of a stagnant creek. That night in the camper park, I was desperate for a shower and the safety of my rented van. Flashlights scanning the path for snakes and whatever else decided to manifest, slapping at the cloud of mosquitoes hovering over my blood-filled body. I ducked into the concrete block room, cranked on the heavenly weak stream of cool water and heard my throbbing heartbeat begin to relax. The air was sulfur yellow from the lights, it took a minute to realize the entire white ceiling moved, swarming with insects, swaying with spider webs. Each one hung with a creature the size of my hand, and it was covered with white geckos, exactly the same color as the ceiling. All you could really see was their yellowish eyes and long pink tongues flicking out feasting on the bugs that flew by. Like an Escher print, they interlocked, their splayed fingers stuck to the walls. Now and then, they'd rearrange like pieces of a weird kaleidoscope, settling again into a new white geometric pattern to continue the feast, disappearing into the wall. The microwave dinged, but it seemed to reverberate like a cathedral bell at sunset, the steam from my dinner hissed. I was staring into those huge, damp eyes, and together we blinked slowly, slowly at each other. The air was heavy, like jello. I was going to do something, something. There was a pressure on my chest. It was very long and sticky and pink, a soft tongue wrapping around my heart and squeezing 
Always a treat to hear that one again. I really, really enjoy that. Jody has written uh, several gems like this for the show, and it's always a tough choice to pick one. Yeah, just more reasons for me to stay awake and out of the kitchen now. Well, just when you thought it was safe to open the refrigerator. Oh, just give a little something to nibble on here. Ah, let's see. Got some Cajun Spam. Uh, no, I don't want Some tuna noodle casserole with uh, marshmallows. No. Let me see here. Oh, plaid jello. That sounds right. That's a... What's that there? In the vegetable crisper. Huh. Sure is dark. If Mildred put the cat in there again, I'll be so furious. This drawer is really stuck. <coughs> Can't seem to get the drawer open. All right, better get some pliers over here. And I'll really open that thing up. I'll tell you what, I really... Huh? How do you like that? I guess my superior brute force worked after all. Hmm. I knew it. Mildred put the cat in the crisper again. Come on, Mr. Cuddles. Come on out of the crisper. Mr. Cuddles, that isn't very nice at all over here. I'm trying to rescue you. You should be very grateful for Now, Mr. Cuddles, I'm serious here. If you don't come out right now, I'm just gonna leave you in the... I tell you, that would uh, really put an abrupt stop to those midnight snacks, would it not? I don't know, bro. I'd fight it for the beer. Ah, true, true. You know, um, I'm planning on doing a more in-depth review of this later once I get through the uh, series of seven episodes, but Netflix has a new program written and directed by Mike Flanagan called Midnight Mass, and if you're a fan of his uh, other projects, like uh, The Haunting of Hill House, or perhaps Oculus, or uh, Absentia, then uh, you'll, you'll, you'll really enjoy this one. I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of it here, but uh, I was just struck the other night by a sequence in one of the early uh, episodes, and I, I think it might be episode three, that uh, I just wanted to highlight because it was so well crafted and portrayed um there's a sequence where a uh, pta meeting of sorts is being held and the folks in this little tiny fishing village in this little tiny island somewhere seem to be very religious not the fundamentalists exactly but but strong believers so shortly a few very odd things begin to happen uh, one might say Miraculous things, which caused the residents there a, uh, a kind of renewed sense of religious zeal. <laughs> so at this aforementioned meeting, it is brought up that uh, Bibles were being handed out in the classroom to students as a result of all the miraculous goings-on, one would assume. The new sheriff, who just arrived in town with his son, are both Muslim. And uh, the sheriff at this here uh, PTA meeting takes a uh, slight exception with the classroom being used to passively endorse a religious belief system. 
<laughs> and this is where it turns into a rather marvelous scene. Uh, you know, usually in these types of scenes, we get a very prototypical and usually ham-fisted uh, discourse, you know, the religionists versus the non-religionists, and uh, with a subtext that's pretty clearly underscored uh, depending on the filmmaker's point of view. That's usually what happens. In this case, you had a marvelous and thoughtful debate going on, much like you would hope to see <laughs> in a situation where logical and reasonable people were. Uh, oh, wait, though, you know, the self-righteous component? Yeah, it's still very much in play in this scene. We know who is passive-aggressively trying to make the case for the Lord, but the, the way the scene unfolds is uh, a lot like a, a logical and reasonable debate, which slowly mutates into some kind of pseudo-Trump rally where a seemingly mysterious force begins to erase all logic and reason and proceeds to distill it down to its fundamentalist core. It's done without going over the top at all. It's uh, very authentically portrayed from top to bottom. And uh, as I say, uh, I'll have a, a greater review of this thing once I get through all seven episodes. But I, I was just really impressed with the writing and performances of this sequence because uh, it's not something you really see every day. Not portrayed like this, anyway. Huh. Sounds cool, man. I actually dug that uh, Hill House thing. Yeah. Oh, that was quite the epic story. Flanagan, uh, you know, he uh, serves as editor as well on many of his projects. I think this one as well. So, uh, looking forward to his uh, new project, which is a Poe adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher, scheduled for uh, 2022, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, with that, friends, we'll call it a uh, show. But uh, not before thanking our uh, contributors to this edition of Fusebox, Bruce Miles for splendid ideification, and Jody Lorimer for an eerie earful. Thanks as well to the Prime Minister of Meters over there, Mill Keynes, for technical assistance and so on and so forth. A pleasure as always. And, of course, thanks to you, friends, for pushing play on this installment of the program. We know your time is precious, and uh, we're just delighted that you chose to spend a bit of it with us right here. You know what? You can make it even better by mashing that subscribe button on uh, wherever you have found this thing. We'd really appreciate that. And if you want to go to the head of the class, like, in a flash, do what Eddie says here. Hey, it's as simple as pie. You go to thefuseboxshow.com and click on the shopping tab. And like flipping magic, there you are. Oh, and if you're one of those book of face folks, click on the Shop Now button on the Fusebox Show Facebook page. Okay? Also, quick as a button. There you go. Enough said. That's so true. And like he says, simple to do, and it really helps the uh, cause here. Mm-hmm. Well, I have been your skeleton in a man costume host... Mark Rowe saying, until our next cartoon.
Fuse Spot.